0: Hello and welcome to Legal Tech Arcade with me, Rob McAdam, an independent podcast about tech-driven legal service delivery and the people and products that make it all happen. Okay, so welcome to the latest episode of the Legal Tech Arcade podcast. And this episode, uh, I'm really excited, actually, to be joined by Tara Waters, who is head of Ashurst Advanced Digital. Tara, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Really excited to join you
0: today. Yes, great to have you on. Great to have you on. Um, So I'm going to do the usual uh, process at the start of these episodes. Everyone, I think, is very familiar with it now. Uh, But because of the whole arcade theme, I I try and play on that and, and ask an icebreaker question, which is usually along the lines of kind of favorite video games arcade games consoles etc so are you are you into games and if so what do you like (laughs)
1: um i i would say i'm not tremendously into games though Uh, you know i was uh grew up in the 80s so very Mm. familiar with kind of the old school arcade games so that's probably where my my biggest interest lies i confess i am just have terrible dexterity with <laughs> um game controllers these days so yeah. you know we, we've got a ps4 at home but i actually i'm i'm really horrific at at trying to play anything yeah um so you know old school style you know miss pac-man galaga actually <laughs> i lived with someone in in the early 2000s in new york city and we had one of those in our flat which was awesome. Um, and I learned all the secret codes to get into the <laughs> secret games, which is really cool.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you on the whole controller and dexterity thing, because yeah, I remember the, the the original Nintendo controls, nice and easy, square, couple of buttons, that's it. I think now it's just, there's too much going on. I just like the, uh, you know, all the kind of switch and the, the old Nintendo Wii, where you just wave it around and that's <laughs> that's what it does, so. Okay, cool. So, um, obviously a lot of people know you as as head of ashes advanced digital and i think you've got a you know fantastic profile in the market anyway um but i think you've had an interesting kind of background and and career to kind of work your way into into legal technology in this role so i thought we could start by perhaps just exploring your background and your route into to legal technology in in the current role you're in now
1: yes i have um what i refer to as a non-traditional path um <laughs> which people are usually very surprised shocked and sometimes even dismayed to hear (laughs) how how this how this journey has has come about okay so i uh i actually i am a practicing lawyer still in fact Mm. and i have been practicing law for 12 years uh two years ago i i merged my interest in technology with my legal career in, in taking up this role. Uh, but actually my interest in technology is more than an interest. I started out uh, in 2000, my very first job at a university as a web developer. Oh, wow! So my first career was in technology and I did that for seven years before I became a lawyer. So mm-hmm. people are usually surprised by that because it's not the direction that most people take. We're seeing a lot of people in law move into tax. Do it the other way around, not, yeah. yeah. Yeah, not so many people doing it the other way around, um, and it's it's an interesting stra- and strange story really law was never on my radar ever growing up i was always a little bit more into the creative fields mm-hmm. and i studied electronic art and design in university which is how i got into web development that was right during the height of the dot-com boom and there are a lot of really amazing and interesting and high-paying jobs in the tech sector so that's where i ended up and i actually had a, a coworker who had always dreamed of becoming a lawyer who convinced me that I would make a good lawyer, which again, never thought of. But the arguments he made, which is interesting because I think they stand now as well, which was that the legal industry firstly needed more women in the law. And secondly, they needed people who understood the new technology of of that time. And at that time, it was actually peer to peer file sharing and Napster. Mm. Now, it's it's a whole host of new technologies. But it's the same concept, which is that you really need to understand some of these new technologies and how they work in order to actually think about how the law applies to them. And you've got the technologies moving ahead of the pace of the the change in law. Mm. So I decided to go to law school. and, And once I did that, I kind of was stuck. Frankly, I um, started paying a lot of money to go to law school in the U.S., which is a very expensive endeavor, <laughs> yeah, I um, and, and frankly, always thought I was going to end up doing tech law, and I probably would have if I stayed in New York City, but the opportunity to move abroad came up, and I thought to myself, wow, I've, I've never done that, and I'd always wanted to do that and do a study abroad, but I never got the chance in university. Mm. Mm. So I figured, all right, let, let, let's pick up. Let's give this a try um, as an international lawyer, as an American lawyer working internationally, I should say, um, you typically go into uh, corporate finance and capital markets. Mm. Uh, those are where the areas where they have need for American lawyers outside of the U.S. So that was actually the air space that I went into. Um, but I was fortunate enough that work, you know, working in the city, being right next to Shoreditch in London. Which you know at that time and remains one of the big tech hubs in the UK meant that I got to stay connected to the tech world. Yeah. So in my own time, you know, I just I went to events, I networked, I met people, I started to you know reach a level of seniority that um, you know some of my peers and friends were moving into that industry and moving into more senior levels and decision-making levels and becoming investors. And I, I just developed a great network, so I, I started trying to bring them into at this point in time when I was at Ashurst, Ashurst um, and, and actually started to build up a bit of a tech practice. Uh, and that's actually the, the work that I continued to do, working with earlier stage technology companies. Mm-hmm. And I think when I joined Ashurst, which is a little over six years ago now, was right when um, as a firm, they started to really start looking at technology as an area of opportunity from an industry focused perspective. So it was really lucky timing for me that I could sort of raise my hand and say, Hey, that's my thing. That's my jam. Mm. Um, I think I've got a lot of value to add there. and, and, And again, was very lucky that the firm was very receptive to that concept. And uh, I was able to then again, raise my hand again when the firm uh, started looking at the potential of developing a different type of technology service, which was focused on looking at digital products and digitalization and productization of legal services. And, you know, I, I, I immediately raised my hand and said, there's no one else in this firm that should be doing this and leading this initiative other than me. And uh, you know, Crazy enough, they listen to me.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I've worked with you, and uh, I think that you know, there'd be no no better person to to lead that function within Ashurst than you, given your background. And it's um, I think what's really interesting is that you're almost that kind of you are a, an original lawyer who codes, but not a lawyer that taught themselves to code. You actually started to kind of you were a web developer first, and then made that leap.
1: Yeah. But
0: um, and it sounds like it kind of came really from started off more as bringing your tech skills into law as a way to provide better legal advice to, to apply the law to kind of technical issues, not necessarily at that stage. It, it, you weren't looking at um, how to, to, to improve the law and, and transform the, the delivery of legal services through technology, but that was a natural progression on from your interest in technology. So um, I think it's a really interesting route through. Uh, well, in fact, it's an incredibly interesting route through. So can we can we kind of look at perhaps where you are now and and kind of the current state of things in in law firms when it comes to legal technology? So kind of what is the shape of legal technology in in law firms right now? Uh, maybe you can talk a little bit about Ashes Advanced Digital and what that is, but but what is the um, the current state of affairs and how has perhaps legal technology in law firms evolved over the last few years?
1: Yeah, I think that you know certainly it's the concept is starting to mature in law firms, although each of us, I think, is utilizing different models for it. um, And and we are all on a kind of a spectrum in terms of maturity. But certainly from my perspective, and and I've voiced this very strongly within the firm, I think we've reached the point probably now where having a strong and competitive and compelling legal technology offering is as important as having uh, legal skills and having lawyers in the firm, and therefore I think you know the roles of technologists and people working in this space are, are crucial to law firms because our clients are expecting us. To have a technology offering Um, and i think that's i think that's great i think you know that's part of this evolution of law firms that's been going on but we're really starting to see that hit kind of a different level right now that being said i do think that ultimately and if you look over the past you know kind of few years and and asher's advance has been in in existence um, just about the amount of time i've been at asher so probably around six or so years I, I think if you look at how law firms have started out in terms of implementing technology for delivery of services, it's it's been still very focused on process automation and process efficiency and less on doing something really new and different. So, Frankly and objectively, um, you, the state of play in terms of legal tech is it's still pretty nascent. I think in terms of the potential of what it could do within law firms. Which, uh, you know, on the one side, you know, you could be frustrated and think we're just not moving fast enough. But I think on the on the other hand, what that means is there remains and a tremendous amount of opportunity.
0: Yeah. No. I mean, there's loads. I think it's, it's really interesting when I think about. The evolution of legal technology at law firms. I think um, it, it's it's interesting isn't it? because I mean there has been this concept of legal technology for a long, long time, um, but it was just tech that people deemed quite boring and dull. So it'd be kind of DMSs, you know, the kind of the eye managers of, of this world. Um, and then I, I, for me, the kind of turning point really came, I think, probably with the tools like Contract Express, and that that re- it was really that tool that led to the the genuine creation of that type of legal engineering role within within yeah. law firms, where you were taking documents uh, and, and processes and, and kind of starting to automate those. Um, and that was really where the kind of what I call legal tech really started in within law firms, I think. And then you could add into that mix tools like IQ and I guess the kind of nowadays there are, there are more and more no-code tools that are kind of adding to the legal technology stack. Yeah. But it, but like you say, it was always it was all geared towards okay, how can we make this process better? How can we optimize the delivery of legal services? No one was quite thinking about the product side of things, or at least being brave enough to perhaps tackle digital products. But that's exactly what um, what you guys are doing now.
1: Yes, and I think that's um, I think that's one of the areas that we're seeing more firms start to look at um again each each in their own way but i do think it's that bit is starting to become a differentiating factor mm. and i think you know the, the productization of legal services um you know is is absolutely I think the wave of the future, you know, not least because if you're figuring out how to make certain processes more efficient or uh, build in automation, then the natural extension of that is actually productizing that in some way. Um, but I think you know that productization of services, you know, we still have a step beyond that, which is digital products and actual standalone self-service products for clients. And I think anyone working in the industry will say that they've, they've heard multiple times from clients about a desire and wish to have certain self-service products mm. and tools um, for a variety of reasons. It, it, in a lot of cases, it's I just don't want to pick up the phone to my lawyers and know, you know they've turned on a clock somewhere. Yeah. And I have to I have to deal with, you know, what does that mean for me? Do I want to pick up the phone? Do I have to negotiate with them? How much is going to cost me to ask them a question? Um, I think secondly, though, and, and in particular, with the, as you mentioned, the rise of low and no code tools where lawyers um, and technologists can work together to actually start to systematize legal analysis and advice and Mm. information in a way that means routine advice, routine analysis can be delivered automatically and with great certainty that the output is correct because these tools are so easy to use and are geared towards the industry so that the lawyers can actually understand how they're operating and what the information flows and and decision flows look like, and in some cases are the ones designing them. That means that, um, again, the, that's, that those little pieces of advice we can then push out as products that uh, clients can self-serve.
0: Yeah, and I think it's a trick that a lot of law firms have traditionally missed, which is they focus too heavily on, um, I guess, doing the things they've always done, but just with, with technology to help along the way. Um, but then they've kind of ignored what I would see as the, kind of the bigger asset for them, which is that, that they sit on. Huge amounts of of legal knowledge and know how. A lot of it is still unstructured, but plenty of it is structured. Um, but it's still very static. and And it's that I think that's the real goldmine. If you can tap into that, and start to marry it up with technology, then as you say, you've got then got legal products, legal digital products that are delivering that knowledge, that know how, and advice in new ways, not just. Using Contract Express to automate a document in a normal repapering exercise, which is, yeah, that's great, but it's not that interesting. But allowing clients to access knowledge in new ways and creating new experiences for them and creating new value for clients um, yeah. through technology is, is the, real, the real differentiator in all of this.
1: Exactly, and I think actually, if you think about digital products in the industry, you know, we've actually had digital products. Most of them have been, you know, knowledge and in, in information systems, mm. LexisNexis, et cetera, yeah. um, Practical Law, um, and and I think that's actually telling because it, it is this point about you know the 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 currency of law firms is our our knowledge and our insights and the ability to commoditize that and productize that. I think is really exciting mm. and the difficulty that we have of course you know probably in most law firms is the fact that this is unstructured data um, that is not even think thought about as data um, it, it's trapped in silos and in ways that the law firm just can't quite unlock the value but i think you know so- certainly on our horizon is looking at how do we unlock those silos in a way, that means we can actually really start to develop value-creating products.
0: Yeah, and and but you know, just as a kind of a cha- I guess a challenging question is: Do you think it is the role of the law firm to to marry up both their knowledge and the technology themselves, or is there an opportunity to actually for law firms to see themselves as the the know the know-how provider, the knowledge provider, and perhaps partner with with other vendors? Because I've thought about it in this sense before, where you know if you're if you're developing an app. Um just a normal you know consumer app, and you might want to bring in some information about the weather or information from Google Maps. you just use the API and you build your product, but you tap into their their knowledge and their API to bring that information in could you Could you see it going in a similar way within law, which is actually you almost have kind of a, a legal API which is your knowledge, and then other vendors can kind of draw from that to to produce this combined solution for for the market?
1: I definitely can see that happening. Um, I'm already thinking in my mind about the hesitations a law firm might have from that perspective. But I, I certainly don't think that um, you know a law firm needs to try to do everything itself mm. if it doesn't feel well placed to do that if it doesn't have the right you know um, skill sets internally or and isn't necessarily willing to acquire those skill sets so I, again I think each law firm needs to you know make its own decision in terms of the model available to them and there are so many different models there's no one perfect model I think each firm needs to make that decision for yeah. itself yeah I do I do think It's really interesting thinking about, um, you know, that partnering framework, which is absolutely the way that most technology companies that were born of, you know, the sort of 2000s and beyond operate. They They develop great technology that works fantastic in specific circumstances. And then they're always looking for who they can connect with to build upon and extend the value of what mm. they've created. And I don't see any reason why law firms shouldn't be thinking in the same way. And I would love to see more technology companies that aren't specifically building for the industry, but just have fantastic technology. In you know, And I'm thinking of big tech, but I'm also thinking of anyone else out there mm. to come into our industry and apply their great technology to our problems. There's no reason why this industry should be restricted only to companies, tech companies, trying to solve legal problems. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons why we probably haven't seen as fast an advancement in terms of adoption and acceleration of the maturity of the types of technology we're using. Um, mm. So I think that's something that could really be game changing if mm. you know if and when it comes about.
0: Yeah, I, I agree, and I think um, you know it's going to be interesting to see how. Um particularly Microsoft, I think that's a, that's an obvious area. I think they've obviously been involved in legal for for a little while but when you look at the, the Microsoft stack now and just the, the, the range of of options and some of their their automation tools and obviously some of their data visualization and uh, and data analytics tools, um, that's a really obvious candidate I think for you know greater involvement in the legal space and you know if you imagine the likes of a Microsoft collaborating with. Um, one or several large legal service providers and law firms, that could be really interesting, really, really interesting. Um, just just briefly before we move on, uh, just one, one thing that comes out um, sometimes when we talk about uh, legal technology in, in law firms, we talk about the kind of digital services piece, we talk about the digital products piece. Um, how much kind of appetite is there for for law firms to, to to move into more kind of technology consultancy? They've obviously got a lot of legal departments as clients who will probably be thinking, how can I leverage technology to improve what I do? Law firms have got now got that experience of doing it through their digital services and digital products teams. Is that something that you think, is that something that Ashurst or is maybe other law firms will, will focus on more?
1: Absolutely. And I think that what we're hearing, I think the the legal industry speak for it is legal operations and yeah. legal operations consultancy. So if you hear that mentioned, that, that's absolutely what, law firms are doing Um, and I think especially you know off off the back of this past year that we've had we have more and more clients coming to us saying okay how do we actually implement contract life cycle management for example how do we get ourselves in a position where we're able to operate more digitally. And uh, it's great, actually, I think that they're coming to their law firms and asking those questions, Mm -hmm. uh, because we do have the experience of implementing similar solutions ourselves. So yeah, I think think that's a huge area of opportunity. I I definitely have, you know, been seeing in the headlines, more and more law firms jumping into this space, you know, we're, we're certainly doing it. Um, you know, we haven't formalized an offering as as of yet, but it, it, it's absolutely something that we are talking to a lot of clients about. And we've got the the mixture of the skill sets already in house in terms of legal process improvement, project management, and our digital team.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, we, we've we've talked about um, or you've just talked about the the digital services team and the digital products team, uh, and that they being kind of two key areas of focus within the kind of wider Ashless Advanced Digital kind of setup. So. What does that team look like? I mean, when we say it's a team, I mean, what kind of skill sets do you have in there? What kind of roles do you have within within those teams?
1: Well, I'll say that the team itself is sort of continuously evolving. And, and that's really, you know, we're, we're trying to adjust and find the best structure and model and, mm. and role mix. To actually achieve what we're trying to achieve, which you know is not just supporting, um, you know, BAU legal services, but we're, you know we're we're trying to transform the firm as well. Um, so you know we are formally split in terms of a digital, principally digital products focused versus principally digital services focused. Um, so our, our mix of team members, though are um, specific senior level people focused on each of those areas, and then a range of managers um, who are very involved in working with clients and, and partners in the legal teams to sort of scope and manage the work that we do. We've got product design analysts, who um, are involved in looking after our pipeline process, which is the process that we follow in terms of accepting new ideas and really sort of guiding them through so that they become actionable and buildable at the end. And then of course, our technologist team, which is the sort of original uh, bit of the team that, that's been in existence for over six years since the formation of Asher's advance itself. Mm. Um, and, and those are the, the people who are actually, you, you know, the power users of the toolkit implementing the technology solutions, configuring the low-code, no-code tools. And we are um, expanding the capability of that team in particular to include Um, you know, light front-end development. So that low-code aspect of what we need to do in order to provide more customized interfaces and Mm. flows, um, we've come to realize that that's actually a really important skill set to have. You you don't want to just be a person that understands how to use a platform. You need to be able to sort of customize and tailor that for individual needs. So that's something from a skill set that's um, new and expanding, but everyone's actually really excited to dive into that. We've, you know, we've all got um, our, you know, visual studio code downloaded Mm -hmm. on our laptops now, and we're sort of diving into JavaScript and CSS.
0: Nice, nice. It's just amazing to see how these teams have have evolved. Um, You know, when I think back to when I was probably about six six years ago, when I was at, Pincents in, in kind of the smart delivery team, it was pretty much made up of, um, it was a very good team, but it was, it was pretty much made up of mainly legal engineers. There was R&D. I think we had uh, Orlando Canetta, who's obviously very well known um, for, for the work he does um, as, a, as a developer there as well. But, um, you know, fast forward to now and you just look at that setup in, in the team and the legal technologists, the product people, um, the analysts, the front end developers, you know, business development, because I guess... Focusing on product means that it brings in a whole range of new kind of roles that need to be 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 um, involved in in defining um, the product and and getting the product to market as well. So it's just uh, I mean it's massively matured. It's hugely yeah. matured.
1: Absolutely. And, and we definitely have, you know, in, in plan over the next several years, introduction of new roles and new functions. Um, you know, we, we definitely, see, I think, you know, personally, I see my, ourselves as very much more akin to a, a, a tech team, a startup team. Yeah. And those are the types of roles that we're, you know, we're thinking about bringing in. We know once we have a A portfolio of products for example we're going to need customer success and and proper support team members Um, and those are all things that you know we look to the technology industry to understand um, what are those types of roles what are the best types of skills that we need to bring into our team
0: yeah yeah so what so so give me some examples then of some of the 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 achievements of the team i know that they've they have achieved a lot um but can you give us some examples perhaps of uh, the types of projects from a digital services Services perspective, maybe some of the things you've been working on from a from a digital product perspective as well.
1: Yes, well, on on the services side, you know, the, the work is principally supporting on delivery of specific client matters, and from a technology perspective, the greatest demand that we have are really large scale, complex matters that involve um, typically a number of technologies. So for example, one of the biggest pieces of work we've been doing over the past year has been implementation for various banks of the Coronavirus Business Interruption Loan Scheme or SIBILS. So we had the the first bank actually quite quickly after that scheme was announced last summer uh, or the start of last summer, basically said that they they had SMEs banging down their door saying, we need loans, we need loans, we need funding, Um, we need you to help. And, you know, within about two weeks time, our team worked really closely, of course, with the finance team and our legal analysts and project management team to design an end to end solution that was underpinned by our technology platforms that in effect allowed uh, the banking client to send us the details of a proposed uh, uh, borrower. And we were able to insert that into our collaboration platform automatically, which kicked off uh, an automated workflow Mm. that then we were able to use our legal analysts, who are um, law grads principally based in Glasgow to then generate all of the loan documentation based on the information that's been provided. We created a suite of automated templates. So basically from one form, we will able to generate the entire finance document package, including Mm. security documents, et cetera, generate all of those, automatically went to the lawyers for the legal review to make sure all of the information was correct and there wasn't anything that needed to be edited. That was put in a finalized form and then sent directly out to DocuSign by the legal analyst so that could all be done fully end to end electronically mm. and you know obviously you know within a matter of you know hours rather than days, weeks, months, uh, which is mm. the sort of normal loan process. Yeah. And we spun out that platform for about three or four different banks, which was is really fantastic.
0: Mm-hmm. It's a I guess it's a good example as well about um, you know it's a little bit of a cliche when, when you're going to talk about people and process and te- technology but it's a, <laughs> it, it is a good example of that though that you know it's a solution that is a pre- predominantly digitized one but still leverage some of the other resources across the the Ashurst advanced team like the legal analysts as well and it was really a kind of combined effort to 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 deliver that
1: absolutely i mean that sort of goes to one of the central tenets that you'll hear a lot of people say which is um you know that the technology isn't the solution mm-hmm. it's the enabler of the solution um and most of the work we do from a digital service perspective is very collaborative with various other teams within the firm
0: yeah um
1: and we're not using the technology to replace legal legal work. We're not using it to replace lawyer resource. We're using it to enhance the experience for everyone.
0: Yeah. So so on that topic then, so it's it's interesting from a digital services perspective that the technology isn't really going to be the differentiator across law firms. I think a lot of law firms actually use very, very similar technology as part of their technology stack, but it's actually about, it's kind of what you do with it that counts. Um, And so I guess that's why having and you talked about you know, your 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 creativity, but I know that will be the case amongst other members of the team. They will be creative people that can think dynamically and creatively about how to solve problems. I think that's the differentiator for law firms. If you have a if you have people within your team that are are creative, can think around issues and solve problems and deploy the technology in the right way, that's the real differentiator. And I guess being able to draw on other other roles within Ashurst Advanced, like legal project management, um, also optimizes the whole process and and allows you to build a really good solution on top of the technology.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, So we talked a little bit about some of the roles um, a minute ago, uh, and we we obviously talked about kind of development and I know you've got some development resource within, within the team. So how much custom development, and this will be interesting to get your perspective having been a kind of web web developer as well, you know, you know what you're talking about here, but how much custom development should law firms do uh, in-house? Um, is it a good idea for for law firms to try and become you know, almost kind of so, you know, software businesses and building their own software? Um, and and kind of how, how do you see it and how do you approach it at Ashurst?
1: My personal view is that I, I don't necessarily think that all law firms need to have an in-house development team. Um, As as I said before, I think each law firm needs to choose the model that works best for them. I know there's a lot of law firms that partner with external providers or outsource that tech work. But I do think the ability to customize what you're doing with technology is important. Um, And I think that's the case for a few different reasons. Firstly, I think ultimately when you're implementing technology and when we're thinking about product design, um, you know, we always talk about the user centricity of it. And that that's the new model in terms of um, digital services and products, you really need to start with the, the user, the customer, the client, what did they want? What did they need? What is the exp- best experience for them? And then you work backwards in terms of figuring out how you can deliver that. And the simple fact is that out of the box technology is not always going to deliver what you're looking for. Mm. And it, you know, in a lot of cases, it, it, it does 80 percent, 90 percent of things really, really well. But there's still that kind of slight gap in terms of what you're looking to do. And especially if you want to be able to differentiate yourself because as again, as you mentioned, many law firms have very the same and or similar tech stack. Then being able to add a layer of customization is a differentiator and can help you elevate that solution above uh, a, an alternative solution that's using very similar technology very similar concepts and processes yeah so i think the ability to customize to build your own tech on top of a of or in between other third-party tech is really important and i, I think then uh, to that point integrations is so critical right now in relation to everything tech-based. And that's one of the areas where in in legal, I think we have not reached a good level of maturity in terms of people automatically integrating things. And I think we're starting to cotton on to the power of integrations. But again, those are things that typically, you know, you need some tech resource to, to do that in the right way. Um, not every vendor has a really easy to use API. So sometimes you need uh, developers to look at how to make the integration work best for you. So I, I do think it's important that you have a capability of some kind to do that. But I, I again, I, I don't necessarily think every law firm is going to want to build their own software. And, and in those cases, and I think what we're seeing is, is they're partnering with other providers to assist them to mm. some extent. And then there are just going to be some law firms who never are comfortable with doing that. And I, I think that's fine. But I think ultimately, they will need to make themselves technology enabled in some other way.
0: Yeah. No, I think the name of the game is is all about augmenting tools that you you have, uh, rather than trying to kind of create your own tools. And I think it's been interesting as well to to look at the evolution of things. And I'd say, um, you know, if we look back again and you think about the the early inception of legal technology and the focus on things like Contract Express, I think that gave people the and law firms the bug. And I think there was initially an, an attitude of, okay, we're we're kind of good at this tech thing, so let's start to build our own things. Um, because it kind of almost felt like, oh, but if we if we just leverage or, or add to things that we've already got, is that really that interesting? Is that a really big differentiator? But I think people soon realize that building your own technology and your own software is is not an easy thing, and it requires you know a load of skill sets from you know product engineering, um, you know testing, support. Um, you know, there's so much that goes into it, and also building technology for. Law firm clients that might be banks or large enterprises means that if you're building your own software, you have to be enterprise ready. So you have to have things like, you know, the right security standards, certifications, SSO in place, you know, user management, etc. So that is that's more than a law firm can probably handle with a small development team. So I think going down the augmenting augmenting tools route is the right one because uh, a lot of these tools are essentially the bridgehead in to a lot of the um, a lot of the clients anyway so we had this a lot at high q which was obviously high q was was used by banks and law firms it was a common language so it made sense to build on top of that um and augment that because um it could be used by both and it was accepted by both so i think um no you're right uh, i think definitely right about the kind of the approach and I'm, it's great to see more law firms take that approach but I do also really agree, really agree with your point about the integrations, uh, because that is so frustrating when you've got some great tools and you go right. I'll, I'll just piece it together and build a cool solution, and it's kind of like, wait a minute, no, that you can't do that. But it, you could if you pay a lot of professional services cost, and I guess we could kind of build that for you. And you think, no, guys, I just want to do it myself.
1: Yeah, and then I was, I would be remiss not to say, um, you know, as a team that is in some cases going to be and trying to build its own software, doing it within a law firm might just be the hardest way <laughs> yeah. to try to do it. Um, and uh, I I know that all too well, um, which is why I think, you know, we have a, a you know a hybrid approach. you know we very much are interested in getting the absolute most out of the existing tech stack mm. and finding those new vendors that add you know the features and functionality that we're missing from the tech stack and then it's all about how do we piece that together, how do we integrate them mm. um but but we do also want to build some things our own because again, we want to really differentiate the products that we build that that is our absolute vision we want to put out tech company quality products and we don't want people to think oh this is just a a law firm product this is actually no high quality digital technology product so what that means you know as you say is we have had to and are continuing to deal with the challenges of the incredible amount of resource it takes to deliver enterprise quality software. Within a within a law firm and within a small team, mm. so you know we've got some mountains still yet to climb. But we also think that the hybrid approach is allowing us to deliver some things early on and get the necessary buy-in mm. for the investment that we know we're going to need in the longer term to actually achieve what we want to achieve.
0: Mm. Uh, just on that 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 topic, you just mentioned that kind of that mountain to climb. But I guess what as you've as you've approached more the digital product side of things, what changes? Um, have you needed to make internally? what kind of challenges have you encountered internally um, within the firm that is, um, that it may be as surprised you or not as the case may be but what what have you what changes have you seen or had to implement to kind of get that product um, side of the business kind of really up and running?
1: there's a huge education piece that remains ongoing. I think people think, oh, yeah, digital products, that sounds great, but they don't actually know what that means. And then they come to you with ideas that are usually sort of precedes of an idea. In fact, and, and oftentimes, once we spend a bit of time with with the SMEs, um, we discover actually that that idea and that problem wasn't really what we're, they were looking to solve. It mm. was this whole other thing. So we have to take the lawyers and the business teams on the journey with us to understand how to even start approaching thinking about solving that problem. Um, And we want to really empower them to do a lot of that thinking on their own. You know, we're very much holding their hands right now as much as possible. But we really want to get to that place where people start thinking about this natively from a kind of design thinking problem solving perspective. And often, you know, of course, we talk to people and they're thinking very specifically about their practice area, their specific type of work. Um, And again, if you want to be doing product, uh, it needs to be scalable, of course. So what we often have to do then is draw those links and bring in all of those other people with slightly similar ideas and try to shape that into um, an idea for something that's going to be scalable and and, and uh, you know work for the largest possible client base. So those are things I think in terms of helping people understand how to even approach um, you know design designing a digital product, much less delivering it. And the principal hurdle we come up against that is is the one of time. Mm. All of our lawyers are are working you know full time and, and then some, and so the ability to find the space in their day to actually think differently about how to approach a digital product idea um, is a huge demand on their time. And so one of the things that we've done is we've created a chargeable code for them so that from, you know, a traditional law firm metrics perspective, there's uh, no detriment to them in working with with us and and hopefully an incentive Mm. Um, and Actually, our first product that we launched last year, ESG Ready, with Lorraine Johnston, who's one of our Finright counsel, Uh, one of the great things that happened, and this is something, you know, now we realize we can do this, let's try to do this with other lawyers, it's she actually really started thinking differently about how her legal analysis and advice was structured Mm. um, sort of conceptually. Um, which was necessary for us to then map that into a technology product and, you know, a a data and decision structure that would enable us to turn that into automated advice. And that was actually really exciting to see. Um, And as I mentioned before, you know, lawyers don't think about what they do and their outputs as data, but it actually is. And, And that's one of the huge changes I think we need to make internally is shifting lawyers, thinking a little bit more in a technology and product mindset so that um, we can take that data and then find the mul- myriad and multitude of ways that we can actually use that in different products and, and and create value from it.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, we said earlier about just the amount of data that law firms have and the knowledge that they have. Um, and it just takes some of those creative lawyers like Lorraine to think, hang on a minute, they're, we're missing a trick here. There's there's a way we can present this. There's a way we can structure this that would actually offer huge amounts of value. Um, but I, I guess as well, you know, when when people come with ideas and product ideas as well, it's I guess it's a there's a challenge of explaining to them this is a big investment for us. If we're going to build a product, this is not just like a little side project or a, a little tool we might build in in, in a little no code platform. We're going to put some investment behind this. We'll we'll bring in roles behind this to to build it. So. It forces people to think in different ways about what's the actual market need, what's the market landscape, what com- what competitors are there out there, what's the value of this tool, which then forces them to think more of, and, and have probably have more conversations with with clients as well. And I, I think that might be some an area where lawyers are uh, uh, traditionally a little bit more uncomfortable, which is, I guess, they like to go to clients with the with the solutions, with the answers. Um, it might be a, a different experience for them to actually go to clients and say, we think there's something here that we could do to improve things. So let's just sit down together and work. Can we ask you some questions about what you're you know, what you're going through in your experiences? How can we make your life better? Um, and, and so I guess that's another another area that, that lawyers have to kind of learn is, is that more, dare I say it, a little bit more empathy and, and kind of discovery um, with it amongst clients. Um,
1: yeah. Absolutely. And and you've sort of hit the nail on the head in, in terms of, you know, lawyers being afraid to not know everything about their client and have all the answers. Mm. Um, And actually, in our in our experience, every time, you know, someone from Asher's events is brought into the conversation, presuming it's with, you know, sort of the right person at the client. But as a general proposition, usually, you know, people's eyes light up and they're like, oh, wow, this is really interesting. You know, uh, there are legal ops uh, roles in house in clients. There are people focused on improving and digitalizing the internal client system and ways of working and it's a huge conversation starter and door opener to talk about our capability and and some of the uh, interesting experience that we have in that area and so it's really up to, to the lawyers to just be a little bit brave mm. because actually in the long run you know for us our experience is that it has a, a tremendously positive experience Effect on our relationships
0: with yeah. clients. Yeah. And just before we move on as well, just to kind of relate to that topic, I mean, how much collaboration do you see amongst law firms themselves when it comes to, to technology? Is that something that, that Ashes has done or, and is open to doing? And, and is it something that the clients are quite keen to see?
1: Yes, it's definitely on the rise. Um, it's been led by a few clients who, in some cases, have, um, so I've heard, forced some of their law firms to actually collaborate. Um, and I think now there is kind of this, this sort of new crop, I think, of of leaders in this space are all really open to cl- Collaboration amongst law firms, and I think that's really great. Um, and you know, I'm very friendly with a lot of people in similar roles in other law firms, and you know, we're just on the circuit together, and we come across each other all the time. And of course, most of us share our clients. So the ability for us to work together and come up with industry solutions, mm-hmm. industry-based solutions, is I think, hugely important. I think it's the direction that the whole industry needs to go in. And we've benefited from, I think, the rising interest in that at the industry level. So, you know, a great example is the Law Tech Sandbox that's been yeah. spun up, actually, and is is its first cohort is presenting next week, which is really exciting. Um, uh, Ashurst itself is actually collaborating with another law firm and a, and a host of other participants including some regulators Mm. um, on a project, a separate project that's going through the sandbox, which we're really excited about. And and there'll be news about that in, in the coming weeks. We are also um, working on another similar collaboration um, that was spearheaded by a tech startup that we're very, very friendly with, and we've brought in three other law firms to do that uh, because we recognize the value of actually the law firms working together rather than trying um, just to try to find the solution ourselves yeah. with with the tech company. Um, and and uh, you know, there's one particular client that that. Quite famously, had run an innovation consortium, and uh, seven other law firms worked together um, a little over a year ago. And that was actually one of the most fun experience I ever had. Yeah. We got paired with a law firm we hadn't really been familiar with, and now you know i among some of my favorite people in the space <laughs> because we got that opportunity to really get to know each other, and we came up with a lot of interesting ideas. And also, I think it's really helpful, you know, frankly, just to have peers get together and, and share some of the pain points we've yeah. experienced and recognize we're all going through it together. Mm. Um, cause sometimes it, it can feel a little bit lonely when you're on your own, trying to, um, deal with some of the challenges that come with doing what we're trying to do in a law firm. And it's always really nice to have peers that you can talk to about the same exact experiences.
0: Yeah, no, I think, um, I completely agree. And I think definitely collaboration. Um, is the name of the game I think going forward in the, in the legal tech space uh, I think people could only benefit from from great collaboration whichever um, area of the legal tech you're coming from whether it 's as a an in-house team as a law firm as a vendor um, as a alter- alternative service provider just the more collaboration the better we 're all trying to find value or offer value um, and we 've got a lot of experience to share. Um, and and uh, I don't think it necessarily needs to be so kind of competitive or adversarial necessarily. It's just about finding the right outcomes um, together. Um, but okay, I'm gonna, I'm going to ask a slightly con- more controversial question now um, because I think some criticism levelled at law firms previously has been that they're perhaps not necessarily genuine or serious in in their desire to to become more digital, and that some of this stuff is. I'm going to say it kind of about winning winning awards or just having something shiny to talk about uh, or put on an email footer or to to talk to clients about because you won this innovation award or that that technology award so do you think law firms are genuinely serious about changing the way they do things and 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 embracing technology and and, uh, digitally driven legal services
1: I would say that some are (laughs) and some probably aren't to be completely frank Mm. um and you know law firms have benefited from a captive client base um the difficulty of moving providers and the headache of that and that you know to be completely honest um you know notwithstanding the number of, of new entrants and the rise of alsps no one yet really properly challenging the traditional law firm um, in terms of being a go-to provider for clients Mm -hmm. at the end of the day the clients still are always you know ultimately going to want that trusted advisor that they've been talking to Um, they may be hiving off aspects of their work to other types of providers but uh, unfortunately what that's meant is I think a lot of partners, notwithstanding making positive noises in most cases about digitalizing and being more digital and utilizing technology better and more, um, you know, f- for those partners, I don't I don't think they feel threatened yet yeah. by the situation. And, um, I, you know, I think, you know, I'm, I'm a partner in Ashurst and, and I'll say these are personal views yeah, of sure. mine. Um, that i think because of the innovation noise and the innovation theater that has pervaded the market probably some of those partners are very cynical Mm -hmm. about what anyone is really doing and if they're not seeing any real radical change happening in their own organizations they're probably thinking oh yeah well we talk about it and it's great and you know, maybe it's a conversation starter. Um, but ultimately, for me, it doesn't change fundamentally what I do. Um, I'm, a, you know, I'm, I'm about the relationship with the client, and I've got a great relationship. So nothing's really going to, to break, break that down. Mm. Um, I think that that probably will continue for a while, you know, I, I don't necessarily see the pressure mounting. But I do think that we are starting to see some law firms break away a little bit from the pack, start to do some really interesting things. And it's not the ones you think it's not the the big names in the market. I think there's a lot of um, law firms are doing that on the sly and I pay very very close attention to to news articles and and announcements about what people are doing particularly in the product space yeah. and, and understanding whether something's done some, someone's done something really unique or not. I think there's a few kind of dark courses out there that are really really changing things. Mm. Um, but to be completely honest, I, in terms of a fundamental change of business model, I, I don't see that happening anytime soon. Um, And I don't know whether, you know, in terms of law firms actually sort of constricting any investment that they have presently been doing in terms of innovation and transformation and digitalization. I don't know whether we're going to go through sort of a cycle of, oh, let's all spin up, you know, what is effectively a CBC type of arm and then constrict it when nothing really is produced in terms of short-term gains because law firms are very focused on short-term gains in in general um, because of the way partnerships are set up. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and that would actually follow the rest of the world where, you know, we've actually seen kind of cycles of huge uh, programs spun up, and then shut down and then spin up and shut down. Yeah. So I don't think it would make us an outlier as an industry. But I do think the um, the specifics of how law firms are actually structured, you know, from from a LLP type of perspective um, and in the focus on the short term gains and the lack of real um, real challengers in the market. I mean, I, I you know, of course, law firms are worried about big four and some ALSPs. But are those those businesses really gonna challenge the bread and butter legal advisory work that most law firms do? Not yet anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think the incentive for law firms isn't there without some really visionary leadership. And I I think that's the thing that could change, I think, when that next generation of leadership hits the the top level management i think that's when we hopefully will see some really big changes
0: yeah and uh, you know what's interesting i mean I, i agree with that that analysis and i think what's interesting though that that partners and law firms might be sitting slightly comfortably now thinking we've not really seen too much legitimate challenge to the way we do things but i think when that when that challenge does come it'll come hard and it'll come fast um and and if that's the case then i guess it means that what you're doing becomes even more important, or at least the way you do it um becomes even more important. So I mean, if you, and by that I mean, I guess if you are structuring yourself as more than just a kind of a digital arm that just does you know, a few digital products or a um optimizes a few digital services, but if you actually start to see yourself as a uh, a new business a new business model within the the more established firm, then actually firms are then hedging their bets slightly they can kind of continue on in their current form but they've got this um this team this this department internally that is starting to structure like a law firm of the future that is digitally driven and the more that they can they can embrace that and grow that the the easier it'll be for them to quickly transition when the time comes um, so I mean, how much of that kind of plays into your thinking and, and the way that you could have approached your role within Ashes Advanced Digital? Do you see it as that you're almost approaching this as you're trying to cultivate the model for the future?
1: I mean, again, my, my personal view is that's exactly what I'm trying to do. Um, and again, in, in a very large organization the easiest way to introduce change and innovation and transformation is to do it in a little sidecar. Um, and and in fact, there's some law firms and, and other businesses who actually set up an entirely separate business to do that. Um, I personally don't believe for Ashurst that would be the best way to do it. I'm very happy that we remain fully integrated and part of the firm mm. because I think that um, that perception of otherness is, is something that can be really detrimental to the cause. Yeah. But but absolutely, I think we are very focused on trying to, um, you know, evolve that business model for the future, and to infuse our way of thinking into the rest of the firm. And, and that's really why I think the integration is is important, because what I would love to see and how I've always thought about our role is, is very much about Uh, being able to do things totally differently you know being able to rip up the rule book a little bit but you know appreciating that we are part of a large organization with certain policies and 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 guardrails that we need to stay within Um, but ultimately that our role is to bring the rest of the firm along on this journey to to show them incrementally with each new service each new product launch what the possibility could look like in the future, what we could be in the future, and that eventually we pervade every aspect of the firm. And, and so that means also that we work really closely with not just the legal teams, but with all of our business services teams, mm-hmm. because we we need to change the way we think about how we do across all levels of the firm, not just the legal staff. And so you know having a group of people that are really focused on really digital digitalizing the company having a real digital strategy and then what i'm trying to do is is help and get the buy-in you know at, at the senior most levels of the firm um, on how to do that and how do they understand and manage risk and investment in a framework that wants to eliminate risk yeah. and, and avoid investment that doesn't have an immediate return and that's really, really tough. But at the end of the day, I think if we are going to be successful, that is required because we can deliver some great products. But if the rest of the business isn't bought into and understand and backing what we're doing, then that product's just going to fizzle out and it's not going to sustain itself. So we really need to be that engine of change. Um, but not be responsible for making the change happen it, it's really about getting the buy-in and helping people understand um the change that needs to happen and then working with them to actually initiate that process of changing
0: mm. so yeah I, I completely agree and it's you know the, the role of these of these digital teams like Ashes advanced digital it's it's not just there to to optimize the delivery of some projects it's not just there to to even just roll out products and uh, you know maybe create new revenue streams and and uh, solidify client relationships actually it has has so many other purposes you know just a digital team in itself like you say can be the the agent of change and it's it's responsible for really being that catalyst and that driver behind um yeah the, the firm and and what it will become in the future um and you know this is why these teams are so so important and they should have large ambitions um they absolutely should have really large ambitions because they're so critical to to the the future of um legal. Um so yeah, no I completely, completely agree. Um but but Tari, you mentioned a minute ago, and it's just something I want to touch on. You, you you talked about the um the challenges for for clients to to move um firms or switch providers. And I think that is an interesting topic because I guess as firms develop out their digital offering, which will always necessitate holding data and handling data, client data, et cetera, does that make it? Will that make it harder? That's is that going to start to lock clients more into to a law firm? And is that is that the best thing for a client? Should they have more freedom to to be and more flexibility to choose their provider? And what would need to change to make that make that happen?
1: I actually have um, some probably radical <laughs> views on this topic. So again, I'll I'll say these are my personal views, but I I certainly think if you look at you know take open banking, for example, and what's in, it's intended to achieve in the financial services industry It's intended to empower the customer to own their data to control who has access to their data, and to be able to port that data to another provider, mm. if you know, at, with a flick of a, you know, flick of a wrist on your iPhone, for example, and I can see that model coming into other industries, and I can certainly see it coming into the legal industry. I would love it, actually, if that model came into the legal industry, because I think when that model comes, um, you know, hopefully that means that actually this industry is really data driven um, and clients discerning clients, I think, will understand that they own their data, they own the advice that they've been given, they own their documents and their contracts. And they shouldn't be locked in to a provider um, by virtue of the fact that all of that information happens to be stored on, in that provider systems. Mm. And, uh, you know, that's not to take away from the fact that, you know, of course, the relationship and, and the actual knowledge in a human being's head of uh, of a client isn't important and isn't an important factor in terms of of who a provider goes to, or, or who a client goes to for legal services. But certainly as we move towards more digitalized systems to support the provision of legal services, clients will become able to, um, if they choose to own their data, control their data, import that data to someone else. And if you're using AI to Um, review understand catalog and categorize your contracts for example actually that ai will know what that client's favored positions are and how it likes to um, draft certain provisions how it likes to negotiate certain um, commercial aspects and therefore some of that knowledge that sits in human heads right now Will actually sit in, in databases in an AI algorithm outputs, mm-hmm. and that's something then that clients can actually say, I'm taking that with me, and and that's actually in some ways beneficial to law firms, you know, who are trying to attract new clients who don't have to say, okay, well, you know, if you hire us, we know we're not your incumbent provider. We'll give you X amount of free time reading in on you and yeah. getting to know yeah. what you like et cetera, et cetera, trying to ask you to ask your other provider to send precedent documents and the like. And and actually the next provider can pick up and know straight away based on that data how you know, probably, you know, eighty five, maybe even more percent of what that client client likes, what they want, how they want that, you know, that document, that contract, that transaction, okay. that risk to be managed.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. I mean I see it a little bit like um you know, if you're if you switch uh, doctor surgeries, you know they'll, they'll transfer your records. You don't have to kind of sign up to a new doctor surgery and say, "I'll I'll, I'll schedule. It. I'll sit down with you and explain my medical history from the last <laughs> from the last you know two decades. The records are there, and then the new doctor can pick those up and go, right, I get it, and I can offer you a continuity of service. So I think it's slightly counterintuitive, though, because I think traditionally a lot of the approach of law firms has been to to use technology and, and create digital tools as a way of Creating that stickier relationship, kind of almost, almost locking in, um, mm. you know, the client, and and you know, other larger providers like Apple and Google do the same thing. You know, it's, I would, I would hate, I kind of shudder at the thought of trying to navigate, <laughs> migrate <laughs> away from the Apple stack. You know, mm. um, that would be awful. But um, it kind of has to happen though, because um, the, the, you know, clients do have the right to decide, you know, who they, who they receive their legal services from, but shouldn't have to go through that hassle each time of. Of onboarding and and um, there should be that kind of memory that kind of fingerprint um that can be transferred uh around around providers to to offer the best possible service and and then it becomes about law firms the 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 differentiator isn't the, the technology like we've said before but it actually becomes you know what what are you going to do over and above your peers your other other law firms to 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 take that data, that client's digital fingerprint and actually offer the better service. So it obviously, it almost lays down the gauntlets to law firms to say, there is a consistency of access to the client's data. So who's going to, who's going to do the best thing with it? Who's going to offer the most value on top of that data?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you're exactly right. It's, it's moving away from a a model based, you know, frankly, in a lot of cases on inertia and, and actually empowering the client to change and it's incumbent then on, on the law firm or, or legal services provider to not lose that client by having the absolute best service mm. and the best offering. But I think there's another, you know, it's it's not an A or B, it's not a black and white situation. I think I think this would in turn, again, this is predicated on the legal industry really properly being data based. Um, it creates some opportunity there. And, and I have been trying to make this a thing. It hasn't yet. But it, it's what I refer to as l to l law to law. And I think that when we're all, you know, data based and we're operating and we have we're integrated and we can API into whoever else we want. We can integrate our systems with whoever else we want. We can more seamlessly collaborate with other law firms and service providers so that um, we become more attractive to yeah. clients because we're not saying it's all or nothing. If the client says, actually, I really want this boutique firm or this competitor firm to do this particular piece of work because they are the absolute number one in that space rather than us just losing all of that work completely. We can say that's great. We'll work with them. We've got all of this other information that they need. And so let let me just connect into them I'll API into them. And you've got everything you want, mm-hmm. and I think that lets you know let lets us remain relevant, and that lets us stay in the ecosystem, and probably think of new and interesting and better ways to provide a collective service to the client.
0: Yeah, no, I completely agree. And it's going to be fascinating to watch now uh, how things do develop in private practice within law firms to see whether some of those some of those topics we've just discussed actually do do come about. I, I really hope that they do. Um, it may take some time, but I think it's inevitable. I think it has to happen. Um, so Tara, this has been a, a absolutely, I could I carry on talking about law firm, uh, legal technology <laughs> and innovation issues for, for a long, long time. Um, and it's been absolutely fantastic. I just want to finish on a um, kind of a, a question, um, if I may. I, I know a lot of people listening um, are often interested in getting into, into legal technology and a career in legal technology. Um, yeah, as someone who's going kind to of start outside the law and come come into the law and then you know, built this uh, career in legal technology, what kind of advice do you have for, for anyone who's listening that might want to get into this space? What should they think about? What should they do?
1: Well, I think Firstly, and in relation to any career, I think it needs to be something you feel passionate about. So hopefully if you're thinking about it, it's something it's because you're like, oh, I'm really interested in this space. I think I might have some passion for it. Um, Because if you don't have a passion for your job, it's gonna get tired pretty quickly. Um, But putting that aside, you know, and, and I, I am a great example, there are many different pathways into this space. There are many different opportunities. So firstly, and um, you know, this is something that actually we're moving away from in our team. You don't need to be a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't necessarily need to have studied law. Um, you know, you can read in and understand um, how people work just by being, you know, observant and empathetic. And all of the things we talk about are important in, in a job like this. Um, So certainly that shouldn't uh, be isn't a prerequisite. Um, You also don't necessarily need to be a master coder um, or have coding experience or teach yourself how to code uh, because a lot of what we're doing now is not hard, you know, hardcore coding. Maybe there's some light elements when you're using a low code environment. But in general, if, if, if development, software development is not your thing, you don't need to be a software developer either. Mm-hmm. So I think, um, you know, really, I think it's uh, you know, read up about what's happening in the industry. Think about the experiences you can get right now. There are so many great um, you know legal technology companies in this space, and they're all growing really fast. They're all getting fantastic levels of investment, which means a lot of them are starting to bring on interns and and, and summer hires. So, you know, get some experience in those spaces. You know, Usher itself is a law firm. You know, we have a lot of graduate programs and student programs now. So go out and try to get, you know, experience in a variety of ways, find out the areas. That you're really interested in, and I think just you know ultimately we, we talk a lot about having the growth mindset in in this space, yeah. and that's that's what it boils down to, you know, being curious, being wanting to learn, wanting to constantly learn and challenge and gain new skills and i think what's exciting is that because this area still remains pretty new and is evolving what that means is there are new roles and new opportunities popping up all the time so even if you get into an area and you think oh maybe this this part of the space is not for me there are so many other areas you could you could look at getting into mm-hmm. so there's i think you just need to be flexible and you know be willing to to stand up to the challenges.
0: Yeah, no, I completely agree, and I think what it's such an exciting time, and I always try and convey this to, well, um, to, to a range of different people, whether they whether they're kind of paralegals or maybe they're they're associates or even more senior lawyers. Um, I try and convey this. This this industry has matured so much uh, over the last few years. Um, I mean, there's still a long way to go, but there are some really interesting roles, and it's not just the case now that you a legal engineer is just going to be. You know, essentially the the equivalent of a of a paralegal just kind of churning out work. There is a genuine career in in legal technology, both in vendors and in law firms now, and there are some quite senior roles you know available and right, quite good career paths for people that go down this route. So, um, I, I I encourage everyone to to really obviously take on your advice, but really explore this, and um, I think they could find themselves in some some really interesting roles. And there's a big future for legal technology, and as we've said on this show today. There's so much more to do, and it would be great to have more people involved in in kind of making that future happen. Anyway, so um, that was a, a a brilliant discussion, Tara. I'm, I'm so glad we, we got a chance to sit down and and talk, and for you to share your your experience. I think it's the first time we've had the perspective of um, you know certainly of a partner, but uh, you know a partner with your background who's who's kind of running a, a digital team within a law firm. It's the first time we've heard from a from a law firm guest. So I really appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, and and sharing your experience so thank you
1: very happy to be here Uh, obviously um love this podcast and (laughs) jumped at the chance to be featured
0: (laughs) no thank you i really appreciate it i really appreciate it so thank you very much and um for everyone else who's uh listening the next episode of the legal tech arcade podcast will be out very soon thank you That's it for this week's episode of the Legal Tech Arcade podcast. If you enjoyed the show, then please go ahead and subscribe. Thanks for listening and see you next time.